Are you one of the handful of people still living in fear of catching the Wu flu? Well, Pfizer is here to help, not just with its infamous vaccines, but with a drug to treat the virus, available to you right now, as long as you're willing to accept the possibility of a few side effects. My symptoms are mild now, but I'm not waiting. If it's COVID, Paxlovid. Having even one risk factor, like being over 50, diabetes, or smoking, increases your chances of severe COVID. Taken within five days of symptoms, Paxlovid reduced the risk of developing severe COVID-19 by 86%. Paxlovid may strengthen or weaken other medicines. Taking it with certain medicines may cause life-threatening side effects or affect how Paxlovid works. So it's critical to tell your doctor about all medicines you take, including herbal supplements, because lab tests or changing the dose of your medicines may be needed. Tell your doctor if you have any serious illnesses, allergies, liver, or kidney disease, are pregnant or plan to become pregnant, are breastfeeding, or use birth control. Paxlovid may affect how your birth control works. Don't take Paxlovid if you're allergic to Nermatrelvir, Ritonavir, or any of its ingredients. Serious side effects can include allergic reactions, liver problems, and issues with HIV medicines. Other side effects include altered taste, diarrhea, high blood pressure, muscle aches, abdominal pain, nausea, and feeling unwell. Is that all? The drug might cause other drugs you're taking to stop working. It might break your liver, your kidneys, your gestating baby, or your nursing baby. It might cause nausea, high blood pressure, or bowel problems, and it might kill you. But if you're willing to accept all of those risks, the drug might reduce the severity of what for most people feels like a common cold. If it's COVID, Paxlovid. You might wind up deceased, but Pfizer's profits will be increased. Your kidneys might turn off, but it might improve your cough. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Soup Kiao, who says, it's amazing how many people want to grill Michael for calling Jeffree Star a transvestite. He is, while they don't even know what that means. That's true. A lot of people came after me yesterday because I referred to that guy, Jeffree Star, as a, a transvestite. That The conservatives were all lauding because he he's fine with transgenderism, but he says that non-binary pronouns, that's too far. And I said, he's a transvestite. And if this is the new line, then conservatives are totally sunk. We haven't conserved anything. He is a transvestite. He might not identify as transgender or whatever, but I don't really use the word transgender all that much when I'm referring to a person because there's no such thing as transgenderism because a man can't really be a woman or a woman can't become a man. You know that I care a lot about words and I try to use precise language when I can. There's a great book about that called Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, which is available now. You can order it. There we go. A transvestite just means you put on the clothing of the opposite sex. And so that's what he is. And facts don't care about your feelings. Don't know what to tell you about that. Okay. When you want to preserve any kind of stability in our very unstable culture, when you want some material stability, I would highly recommend you check out Birch Gold. Right now, text Knowles to 989898. The U.S. blew through $31.4 trillion in debt ceiling last month, and still the White House refuses to reduce spending. With the U.S. economy facing unprecedented challenges, it is more important than ever to diversify your portfolio with a trusted and secure investment like gold. You need gold with Birch Gold. When you invest in gold, you are investing in a tangible asset that has stood the test of time. I have really 
really enjoyed investing in precious metals in my life. I'm very, very pleased to own gold from Birch Gold. Unlike stocks or bonds, gold has intrinsic value that is not tied to any one country's economic performance. That means that no matter what happens to the U.S. economy, your investment in gold will remain secure and valuable. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold and then talk to one of their precious metals specialists with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews. You can trust Birch Gold to help protect your savings. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 989898 and protect yourself with gold today. That is Knowles to 989898 today. The side effects list in that COVID medicine commercial, it's like two-thirds of the commercial. Now listen, my symptoms aren't that bad yet because it's COVID and it just doesn't get that bad for pretty much everybody. But if it did get bad, I would take this drug that could kill me (laughs) so that I have fewer aches for a few days. Speaking of medical malpractice, a really big story coming out of Canada. This is, speaking of transgenderism too, this is a story that we have been calling for and predicting for years now, really since the transgender craze started, and we're finally seeing it happen. A detransitioner is suing her medical providers. A woman in Ontario who identified as transgender and underwent hormone therapy, a bilateral mastectomy, and a hysterectomy, this woman had her womb removed, filed the first lawsuit in Canada against her doctor's for facilitating her transition, which is a euphemism for chopping up healthy people who are suffering from delusions and mental illness, chopping up their healthy body parts uh, in order to indulge their their disordered and destructive fantasies. That's what the doctors did. It's it's not this woman's fault. People fall prey to delusions all the time. But doctors take the Hippocratic Oath and doctors swear a vow first to do no harm. And what the transgender affirming doctors are doing is a lot of harm. And this woman is recognizing this because she snapped out of her craziness. And she said, wait a second, I'm not really a man. And what have you people done to me? You've chopped off my body parts and you've removed my womb. So now I can never have a child. The woman's name is Michelle Zakinia. She is 34 years old. She pointed out that these medical professionals failed to address her complex mental health needs. I'm going to put a pause here for a second because I would not be surprised if what I just said in the YouTube version of this show gets cut out because YouTube has all sorts of rules about how you're supposed to talk about transgenderism and you're not supposed to refer to it as a mental illness, even though that's obviously what it is. And so what what happens is For the YouTube part of the show, sometimes they'll bleep it or they'll put a censor bar or they'll say, you've got to go to dailywire.com because at dailywire.com, we can say whatever we want. We're not going to be deplatformed by YouTube. We're not going to receive any further strikes on our account on YouTube or the other platforms. But that's obviously what it is. You don't need to take my word for it. That's what this woman is saying. The woman who identified as transgender for a long time and had her breasts cut off and had her womb removed. She is now saying, I had a mental illness and my doctors failed to treat my mental illness and now... Now, I've had much of my life destroyed because of it. She says, I will live the rest of my life without breasts, with a deepened voice, with male pattern balding, and without the ability to get pregnant. Removing my completely healthy uterus is my greatest regret. And so she's saying it's a regret that I have. She's taking some responsibility for for falling into this, but she shouldn't take all of the responsibility or, or even most of it. 
None of these transgender people are. They've fallen into delusion. Maybe that's through the indulgence of vice. A lot of people get into it because they're addicted to porn. Maybe that's because of certain psychological conditions that they have. A a major uh, associated factor for transgender identity is autism that sometimes goes undiagnosed. Or maybe it's because of any other number of host of mental problems that are associated with transgenderism. The people that I blame are not the people who fall into it. The people that I blame are the ones who indulge it. And especially the doctors who took an oath to do no harm. And they're chopping out this woman's uterus and they're severely damaging the rest of her life. I hope she sues them for all that they're worth. I hope these, these medical facilities go totally bankrupt if they're not first banned by the state. I hope these doctors lose their licenses, and I hope this is totally banned for everybody as soon as possible throughout the West. This is a horrifying thing. This woman is just the first really public victim to come forward in Canada and sue. I want to see thousands and thousands of these lawsuits. I strongly encourage anybody who regrets being transitioned to sue these people for all that they're worth especially people who are transitioned at a young age, which is happening more and more and more. Teenagers, sometimes even younger. Which brings us to an almost entirely different political issue right now. It's the war in Ukraine, which is really a proxy war between Russia, which invaded Ukraine, and America, which uh, has tried to deepen ties to Ukraine and has encouraged Ukraine to apply for membership in the European Union and turn toward NATO for protection and has, has uh, tried to oust some of the more pro-Russian leaders of that country. Now you've got a proxy war in what was once a buffer state. Well, Vladimir Putin has just raised the stakes of the war because he's uh, choosing not to uh, continue along with a major nuclear treaty. This is the New START treaty. He's saying that he's going to suspend the New START treaty doesn't really bode very well for the war. And in a speech in which he lambasted the West, he attacked the West specifically for the woke virus that it is spreading around the world that that Vladimir Putin says is threatening the children of non-Western states, Russian children and and other places where the culture hasn't totally seeped in. I'll I'll translate the speech, not, not from Russian, but I'll read the subtitles while he speaks. And here, they lie constantly, pervert historical facts, do not stop attacks on our culture. The Russian Orthodox Church and other traditional religious organizations of our country see what they do with their own peoples, this is in the West, the destruction of the family, cultural and national identity. Perversion, mockery of children and pedophilia are declared the norm the norm of their life, and priests are forced to bless same-sex marriages. God with them, let them do what they want. What do I want to say here? Adults have the right to live as they want. We have always thought like this in Russia, and we always will. (laughs) First of all, what? Are you kidding me? No one will invade private life. We are not going to do this. I know we were communists for like a hundred years, but forget about that. I added that part. But I want to tell them, look at the Holy Scriptures, the main books of all other world religions. Everything is said there, including that the family is the union of a man and a woman. (laughs) 
we see people applauding, a num number of no, Russian religious leaders out there. But these sacred texts are now in doubt. As it became known, the Anglican Church, for example, plans to consider the idea of a gender-neutral God. My Russian accent is getting worse the longer this goes along. What can we say? Forgive us, Lord, they know not what they do. Millions of people in the West understand that they are leading to a real spiritual disaster. The elites directly, I must say, go crazy, and it seems that they can no longer be treated. Show me the lie there. But these are their problems, as I said, and we must protect our children. And we will do this, protect our children from degradation and degeneration. I talked on the show yesterday about the, the most important aspect of good propaganda. And coincidentally, now we're seeing Vladimir Putin, who's an excellent propagandist, exercise this. Good propaganda is the kind that's true. And even if it's not 100% true, it's got a lot of truth to it. There are a lot of things that Vladimir Putin is suggesting here that are not true. He's suggesting that in the West, the church blames, er, blesses rather same-sex marriage. That isn't true. That is true in some of the Protestant churches, though. It's not true in the Catholic church, which is the church of the West for 2,000 years. But it's true in some Protestant churches. There's a, there's a fair bit of truth to that. It's true that in the West now, the West doesn't really respect many aspects of private life. Now, of course, Russia was the communist empire for much of the 20th century. So I don't want to hear too many lectures about respecting private life from Vladimir Putin, okay? But he's right about what he's saying about the West in many ways. He's saying that in the West, there are policies encouraging the destruction of the family. That's true. Russia has not been very successful at promoting the rebirth of the family, but they have taken certain state measures to turn around their birth rate problem and encourage the family. It's true no, Russia has a lot of other problems in that. They allow all sorts of pornography and they promote, I think they even promote sort of underage pornography and all sorts of abusive, terrible stuff. But what they're saying about the West, there's a lot of truth to it. The degeneration, the degradation that's being pushed in the West, that's a problem. And he's saying, we're going to protect our kids from that. That's the kind of message that is going to resonate. That's very, very good propaganda. And you can say, well, Vladimir Putin, you're misrepresenting your country. Well, Vladimir Putin, you're misrepresenting your war aims. Well, Vladimir Putin... You're, you're a meanie and you're a terrible guy. You can say all that. That can all be true. But much, if not most, of what he is accusing the West of doing is true. What are we going to do about it? If we want Vladimir Putin to have less effective propaganda, we should probably, we should probably stop encouraging the conditions that allow a lot of that propaganda to be true. Okay? That's, that's just real talk, folks. And when you want real talk, you should check out Pure Talk. Right now, go to puretalk.com, use promo code Knowles. I got to ask you something. If you had two cups of coffee that came from the same pot, but one of them cost $2 and the other cost $1, which cup would you buy? Of course, you would buy the more affordable coffee. It's the same coffee for less money. What if I told you you could get the same wireless service for less? Stop paying for Verizon, ATT, or T-Mobile. Cut your bill in half with Pure Talk. PureTalk is the antidote to woke wireless companies. They're the only wireless company that offers a 100% money-back guarantee. They are so sure that you're going to love their service that if you don't, they will give you your money back. Their U.S.-based customer service team makes the switch super easy. Switch over to PureTalk in as little as 10 minutes while keeping your phone and your phone number. Your first month is guaranteed risk-free. Go to puretalk.com 
Enter promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to save 50% off your first month. That is puretalk.com, promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Speaking of the war in Ukraine, a major incident in the presidential race in 2024 that a lot of people aren't talking about. It's not that there's a new candidate, though there is a new candidate. We'll get to that in a second. Probably the, the biggest change in the 2024 race is that we have now, I think for the first time, gotten a foreign policy statement from the chief Republican rival to Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis. Here's what Ron DeSantis thinks about the war in Ukraine. They have effectively a blank check policy with no clear strategic objective identified. And um, these things can, can escalate. And I don't think it's in our interest to be getting into proxy war with China getting involved uh, over things like the borderlands or, or over Crimea. So I think it would behoove them to identify what is the strategic objective that they're trying to, to achieve. Uh, but just saying it's an open-ended blank check, uh, that is not acceptable. So, Governor, what does a win look like for us in Ukraine, for Ukraine? Well, I think it's important to point out, I mean, you know, the fear of kind of Russia going into NATO countries and all that and steamrolling, you know, that has not even come close to happening. I think they've shown themselves to be a third rate military power. Uh, I think they've suffered tremendous, tremendous losses. Uh, I got to think that the people in Russia uh, are probably disapproving of what's going on. I don't think they can speak up about it for obvious reasons. So I think Russia has been really, really wounded here. Um, and I don't think that they are the same threat to our country, even though they're hostile. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're on the same level as a China. This is a masterful answer from Ron DeSantis, because don't forget, Donald Trump's greatest strength in the presidential race today is probably his foreign policy. It was the most different from the other Republican rivals in 2016, and from probably most other Republican politicians today. And it's the most effective foreign policy we've seen, certainly in my lifetime. It's the most effective foreign policy, certainly since George H.W. Bush, maybe since Ronald Reagan. Because Donald Trump was unpredictable. The bad guys were not nearly as aggressive on Donald Trump's watch as they have been on the watch of other presidents. Donald Trump scored major foreign policy wins. Donald Trump brought a fair degree of peace to the Middle East, which people probably would not have guessed when when he was first elected. But he has a very strong foreign policy record. And the GOP base is torn right now between the the really bullish pro-war, go-in, glass Russia, take over Ukraine side, which is not as represented among the base, but the GOP elites really like that idea. And then the base and the more paleoconservative and the more isolationist side, which says, why are we focused on Kiev when we've got a chemical spill in East Palestine, Ohio? People can't drink the water in their town, but we're focused on giving pensions to Ukrainians for what? Give me a break. And then you've got the more hawkish side in the GOP saying, no, if we don't go in and take over Ukraine, uh, Vladimir Adolf Putin is going to conquer all of Europe. He's not only the next Hitler, he's the next Napoleon, he's the next, he's the next Genghis Khan. We have to stop him now. And, and how does Ron DeSantis handle this? He says, the threat from Russia has been exaggerated. There is not evidence that Russia is going to steamroll into Poland or Hungary or other places in the West. Uh, Russia has been degraded. 
Russia has been revealed to be not a very strong nuclear, uh, not a very strong military power. They are a nuclear power, so there is still some threat there. It's a very good answer. It's a very good answer for Ron DeSantis. We'll see how that keeps up. Talk is cheap, of course, and Trump has the advantage of having had an actual foreign policy. It's not DeSantis's fault. Florida just doesn't have a foreign policy. We will see now how consistent Ron DeSantis can be in his foreign policy. As, as for Trump, Trump, because he's already pretty squared away on the foreign policy stuff, he can focus on matters at home. And that is where Donald Trump really, really shines. So Joe Biden flies over to Kiev to pal around with Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. Donald Trump says, I'm going to East Palestine, Ohio. In fact, Trump has made such a fuss about this. I believe he's going to East Palestine today. So we'll see more from the rally later on. He's made such a fuss about this that I think at least Pete Buttigieg and probably Joe Biden are going to have to make a visit as well. So Trump's most distinguishing characteristic from the high-level perspective of the candidates is is probably the foreign policy. That's why you're seeing the GOP candidates trying to figure out exactly how to thread that needle. But where Trump shines the most is when he goes to the Rust Belt, when he goes to blue-collar places, when he goes to the forgotten man, the flyover country, the bitter-clinging Bible-thumping, deplorable, irredeemable people that the Democrats and the elite Republicans hate, when he goes there and he speaks to their concerns and he, he breaks away from the free trade orthodoxy, globalization orthodoxy, outsource everything and flood the country with foreigners orthodoxy that took over not just the leftist institutions, but even the right-wing think tanks and elite institutions on the coasts. When Trump contradicts that, that is where he shines. That is a big break from the rest of the GOP, which has now been remade in Trump's image. Uh, he, he, I suspect, is going to do very, very well in Ohio. Now, the other thing that distinguished Trump is that Trump was not a career politician. He's a businessman. There is another businessman candidate in the race, just announced his run for president yesterday. That would be my friend, Vivek Ramaswamy. Achievement was my ticket to get ahead. I went on to found multi-billion dollar companies, and I did it while getting married, raising a family, and following my faith in God. The things that used to fill that void, like faith, patriotism, hard work, and family, have disappeared. We now embrace one secular religion after another, from covidism, to climatism, and gender ideology, to satisfy our deeper need for identity. Yet we cannot even answer the question of what it means to be an American in the year 2023. This isn't just a political campaign. This is a cultural movement to create a new dream for the next generation of Americans. And this time around, it isn't just about money. It's about the unapologetic pursuit of excellence in our country. This is a great message. This is a really, really great message. Vivek opens up the announcement with talk about Martin Luther King and I Have a Dream and the sort of stuff that people have heard before. So you might start to think, all right, this is going to be a regular old Republican talking points campaign. But notice how quickly he shifts it. And he says, I'm running a campaign about American identity and who we are. He's focusing on culture. He's focusing on religion. He says, we got to do away with the climate religion. I really like that phrase. That's what it is. It's a the climatism, the, the green people, 
They, not the little green men from outer space that everyone said was flying over Montana the other day, but the, the, the green movement that worships Mother Gaia, that is a false religion. We've got to get away from that. What are we going to go back to? He says, there, I've got faith in God. Okay, that's going to be a traditional religion. What's our identity? He says, our identity is not going to be just about money this time. That's an amazing, amazing statement. Because the Republican talking points for 30 years have been, hey, do whatever you want, believe whatever you want, behave however you want. Just don't make me pay for it. Vivek saying, nope, none of that. What are we going to pursue instead? He says, we're going to pursue excellence. That is a very, very traditional conservative idea. Excellence. Maybe, maybe in the ancient Greek, arete, this idea that we want to pursue not just maximal individual autonomy, but excellence in all of our fields. That we perhaps want to pursue virtue, that we want good stuff, more good stuff, less bad stuff. That's a very compelling campaign message. And I know some people are saying, oh, this guy Vivek, who is he? Is he just the Andrew Yang of this cycle? Does he really know what he's talking about with politics? I told you when there were first rumblings that Vivek might run for president, I said, this is a very serious guy. I know him. I've known him for quite a long time. And this guy's very intelligent. This guy has a clear vision. He is not just some joker vanity candidate running. He he is going to run with a purpose. And as he said there, he said it's bigger than one candidate. Most, most of the time when politicians say that, I think it's just BS. It's actually all they really care about is their, their own aggrandizement and, and power. Vivek is offering something here. We'll see how the campaign goes. This is, the, this is the first day of the campaign, basically. Very impressive launch, especially for a candidate who comes really out of left field. Not leftist field, but comes out of left field, comes out of the blue. People were not expecting this guy to run. An auspicious start to his campaign. Now, speaking of auspicious moments, I'm very excited. I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm looking forward to the future because I will get to hear from you on Friday in the voicemail bag. The way to submit a question in the voicemail bag is you go to thedailywire.com, you click on my show page, you go down to the mailbag, and you click the button, submit a mailbag question. It's going to pop up with an email screen. What you do then is you just attach your audio file. You can record your audio file on your computer. You can record your audio file on your phone. You can record it on a cassette player. I don't really care. Somehow get this digital file to be less than one minute, attach it to the email, send it in, and then I will get to hear your mellifluous voice on the show on Friday. So you got a bunch of Republicans running for president. They're all running, at least ostensibly, against Joe Biden. And Joe Biden is not looking great. You saw the contrast. The Republicans are focused on Ohio. Joe Biden's focused on Kiev. Joe Biden flew to Kiev just the other day, took a lot of big photo ops with Vladimir Zelensky. And even as Joe Biden was walking out, you heard an air raid siren going on. Here's our intrepid president walking out in a war zone. It's pretty crazy because Joe Biden doesn't seem totally stable or safe when he's walking out on the lawn of the White House. But now he's flying into this war zone with air raid sirens. Wow, this is pretty cool, man. Look at Clint Eastwood over here. Except one could not help but have the impression that the whole scene was staged. And it's not just me saying that. It's not just the conservative. It's not, not just the conspiracy theorist tinfoil hat wearing people. Even CNN admitted the whole scene looked a little bit sus. 
I've been here for the past five days. I have not heard any explosions. I have not heard any air sirens until about half an hour ago, right when uh, President Biden was in the center of Kiev. So CNN doesn't make the accusation that CNN's Alex Marquart. He says, look, I'm not, I'm not making any accusations, but I've been here for five days. I haven't once heard an air raid siren. And the only air raid siren I've heard just coincidentally happens when Biden walks out the door with Vladimir Zelensky. As I mentioned the other day, you know I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I am simply a coincidence noticer. And that is pretty pathetic. It reminds me of Hillary Clinton saying that when she landed in Bosnia, she landed under sniper fire. She was in a war zone. It was just total BS. It's the same thing for Joe Biden as well. It's a deception and not not a very persuasive one. Speaking of deception, your regularly scheduled update on white women pretending to be ethnic. Uh, this from the New York Post, a progressive activist, Raquel Evita Saraswati. She is a Muslim progressive activist. She is an Arab woman. She is a Latina. She has made this ethnic uh, identity part of her activism for 20 years. And it turns out, you're going to be shocked to hear this, she's just a regular white lady. Raquel Evita Saraswati, 39 years old, was just outed by The Intercept for pretending to be South Asian, Latina, and Arab. Uh, she, she spoke to Boston.com in 2004 about her upcoming wedding, saying she, she wanted to do something to respect her Arab and Latin culture. Uh, actually, her name is Rachel Elizabeth Seidel. She... Uh, She's referred to in that article as Raquel Evita Seidel. I guess she's dropped the Seidel. Now she's Saraswati. And her mother, Carol Peroni, says that it's all BS and her family is white as the driven snow. I call her Rachel. I don't know why she's doing what she's doing. I'm as white as the driven snow. And so is she. I'm German and British. Her father was Calabrese Italian, which to be fair is a racially liminal group of people. I happen to be Calabrese as well. Uh, She's chosen to live a lie, and I find that very, very sad. What is Saraswati's job? Do you think she's a truck driver? Mm, No. Do, Do you think she's an electrician? No. She is, of course, the chief equity, inclusion, and culture officer of a Philadelphia based group, the American Friends Service Committee, which is a leftist Quaker group that fights violence, inequality, and oppression. She's the latest Rachel Dolezal, but there have been many Rachel Dolezals since then. Lots of white women, usually women, uh, pretend to be other ethnic groups. Why is that? Because exhibit Z, exhibit number 10,576, that white privilege does not exist. It does not exist, certainly as our culture pretends that it exists. You don't get special social points for being white. In fact, white people are the only group in our culture that one can legally discriminate against and uh, socially uh, insult, exclude, ostracize, where it's actually encouraged by our culture to attack white people. And so 
white people are pretending to be other races. It's just basic incentives. The proof of the pudding is in the tasting. You don't see many, if any, black people pretending to be white people. You don't see many Arab people or Middle Eastern people pretending to be white people. In fact, in the U.S. Census, Arab and Middle Eastern people used to be classified as white. Then there was a movement over the last 10 years to reclassify that group as Middle Eastern and North African, MENA. Linda Sarsour, the leftist activist, was one of the people pushing this. Why was she pushing this? If there were a privilege associated with being white, don't you think that the people who were already lumped in as being white would want to remain white? They're not doing that, though. Why? Because being white is the only group with which there is not a social privilege associated. So they're trying to be some other group. And yet, if you went out and you polled 100 people on the street, in New York, San Francisco, Chicago, Washington, D.C., if you pulled any CNN watchers, so I guess you'd have to go to the airport for that, and you said, hey, which group is the most socially privileged? You would hear a lot of people say, oh, it's white people. It's white people. It's the opposite of reality. So often, we, we can just be hypnotized by, by the popular culture. But this is the proof that it's all BS. Speaking of privilege, Speaking of white, white privilege, a gang member in LA is a Korean guy. This Korean guy comes with his family to America as a kid. He then joined a gang and committed murder. And then he went to a prison for that. And now he's being deported because he got out of prison, which is absurd. The guy committed murder. He should at the very least be in prison for the rest of his life. But okay, fine. Let's say for, let's, let's say it were a legitimate reason for which he was granted some clemency here, some mercy. He was allowed out of prison. He is being deported. He's not an American citizen. He is a gangster and a murderer. And so he, he's being deported. This is being reported in the New York Times, or I'm sorry, the LA Times, as a kind of a sad story. This guy, Justin Chung. Justin Tung, Chung was brutally honest, admitting that it took him years to feel remorse he wanted to share his complicated journey, and he was rallying support for another fight. Because of the murder he committed when he was 16, he had lost his chance to apply for a green card. He's on the verge of being deported to South Korea, the country he left as a two-year-old. Especially being Korean, I do want to be private for my family, said Chung, 33, but I have to fight. I have to do something before I get deported. No, you don't. Just go, go away. Go away. You're very, very lucky that you were allowed out of prison because of the Democrat policies of people like Gavin Newsom. You're very, very lucky that you were not executed when you committed that murder in cold blood. When he committed that murder, he was in a gang. He thought he was killing people of a rival gang. He just didn't like the cut of their jib or the kind of clothes they were wearing. So he went to murder them. And it turned out the people that he murdered were not in any gang at all. They were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And this cold-blooded psycho murdered them. So now he's getting deported. And now that's the sob story. That's the sob story. That is how much our culture favors immigrants, the, the foreigners, the people who they look different, they sound a little different. That's how insanely our culture favors them, is that you, they can come here, literally commit murder, and they're still the sympathetic characters in the story. You remember when Donald Trump in 2016, he said, my followers love me so much, I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and I wouldn't lose a single vote. 
And the left used this line. They said, oh my goodness, this is cultish behavior. This is horrible. Can you imagine what a terrible country we're living in where that sort of statement can be true? Well, it's not exactly true of Trump. His followers are pretty loyal, but he was exaggerating for comic effect. That is true when it comes to the libs and immigration. They could literally murder people. They do regularly murder people. And the libs will not lift a finger to do anything about it. In fact, they will lift a finger to try to stop these poor put-upon murderers from being deported. Speaking of murderers in prison, great story coming out of Miami. Reported in the Miami Herald. Headline, held without charge, a Miami inmate's unborn child asks court for release in odd case. What's the story? Well, an attorney, William N. Norris, filed an emergency writ of habeas corpus, which allows the court to determine whether someone's imprisonment is lawful. They say this lawyer is speaking not on behalf of his client who's committed murder, but of an unborn child. I'm sorry, allegedly committed murder. But rather, it's on behalf of an unborn child who, he says, has not been charged with any crime by the state. Further, the state has placed the unborn child in such inherently dangerous environment by placing the unborn child in close proximity to violent criminal defenders. The the child's mother, 24 years old, was arrested and charged with second-degree murder while she was six weeks pregnant. So now there's two people being held in this jail. And the lawyer is saying, well, on behalf of one of my clients, that, that person's being held without a charge, and that would be the unborn baby. I love this case. This is a real post-Dobbs case. This is a case that shows, it's probably going to be laughed at of court, but it shows a major shift now that Roe v. Wade has been overruled, now that Planned Parenthood v. Casey's been overruled. People are beginning to talk about babies in the womb as actual babies. And they're not just doing it from places of sincerity or because their minds have been changed. They're doing it from places of opportunism, looking at how the law is now treating unborn babies, which is fine by me. I don't, either way, I don't care. I just want the babies to be treated as babies. Now, of course, this is absurd. And the, the reason it's absurd, though, is not that the baby is not really a baby. The reason it's absurd is that the baby is not primarily an individual. The reason this legal motion is absurd is because none of us are primarily individuals. Man is a political animal. Man is a social animal. That was the wisdom of Aristotle. That was the wisdom that animated the political philosophy of the West. And only in recent years, around the Enlightenment into modernity, did some of the liberal thinkers start to say, no, 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 man's not a social political animal. Man's an individual. And we're all just atomized individuals floating in the ether. And we've all gotten much more miserable since that time. The baby cannot be separated from the mother. Man is a social animal. If the mother murders somebody and goes to prison, the baby is going to have to go to prison too, at least for nine months. That's, that's another political truth that we're going to have to learn or relearn. We're going to have to relearn that man is not simply an individual floating in outer space. We're not born primarily with rights and entitlements. As individuals, we are actually born with duties and responsibilities to our family. We're born into that social context, into the context of a township, into the context of a state, into the concept of a nation into that whole political community. And we do have something to do with one another. That's the lesson that we're going to have to start learning now. But I love that we've learned that first lesson and we're learning it pretty well. Babies are, in fact, people. Absolutely love it. In honor of President's Day this year, The Daily Wire launched our President's For Sale sale with 40% off memberships. The big guy got 10%. We're giving you 40%. 
Get access to the world of Daily Wire Plus with fearless documentaries, gripping movies, Dennis Prager's master's program, and the entire library of Dr. Jordan Peterson's work, including new productions, Exodus, Logos and Literacy, On Marriage, all available to watch right now. Coming soon, new episodes of Ben Shapiro's The Search, Jordan Peterson's Vision and Destiny, and Exodus Part 2, our much-anticipated DW Kids content, and the epic Pendragon saga later this year. We are also giving you up to 40% off select items in the Daily Wire shop. Take advantage of our President's for Sale sale today. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe to become a member today. That is dailywire.com slash subscribe. Speaking of young people, it's a story from last week, but I, I do want to get to it. The DOJ has announced that it won't charge Matt Gates, Republican congressman, with any crimes. You might recall that there was a big scandal. People thought not only was Matt Gates going to get run out of Washington, D.C., but he was going to wind up in an orange jumpsuit because they accused him of sex trafficking. Not just any sex trafficking, underage sex trafficking. And they accused him of this because apparently Matt Gates is a single guy and likes to hang out with women. And I guess one of these women may or may not have been underage at the time, and maybe it was in a different state. And anyway, there were all these allegations. They were trying to portray Matt Gates as a pedophile. They were trying to portray Matt Gates as Jeffrey Epstein, you know, the guy that the Democrat elites all hung out with for years and years and years with total impunity. They were, they were trying to portray Matt Gates in that way. And ultimately, it appears not to have worked all that well from the legal perspective, because the DOJ has confirmed to Matt Gates's attorneys that their investigation has concluded and he will not be charged with any crimes. Okay. Does this exonerate Matt Gates? Should he settle down and get married and stop hanging out with lots of girls? Uh, yeah, he probably should do that. It doesn't exonerate him on the personal level, I guess, but it certainly exonerates him on the legal level. And that's very, very important. One, it's important for the separation of powers. If the DOJ of some executive agency can go around arresting members of Congress willy-nilly, that that becomes a norm. That's, that's a big problem for the separation of powers in our country. Then it's just the executive agencies and the, the bureaucracy runs the whole government. And the legislature, the duly elected representatives and the judges and everybody else is just subservient to them, not the way the Constitution is supposed to work. So it's, it's, good, it's good that Matt Gates is not being charged. But it's not a total win for Gates. It's not a total win for Republicans. Because the libs basically got what they want. Matt Gates was tried in the court of public opinion. Matt Gates had all of these insinuations leveled against him. The very fact of being under investigation for this kind of stuff with all kinds of leaks and all sorts of naughty implications coming out of it really damaged this guy's political career. He's never going to get that stain off of him. Does he bear some responsibility for that? I suppose so. But this was also a political operation. This was also an attack by the libs. They didn't need to get him. They didn't need to put him in that orange jumpsuit in order, in order to get him, in order to severely damage him. This is what they did to Trump for years. With Trump, they said for you, oh, he's maybe colluding with the Russians. We're going to have to investigate that. Oh, he maybe cheated in 2016. We're going to have to investigate that. We're going to need a special counsel. Oh, he maybe has this crooked deal. Oh, we've got to investigate, investigate, investigate. And then what did they have? They had nothing. Oh, we got to kick in his door at Mar-a-Lago. He's got secret documents. Apparently nowhere near the number of secret documents and nowhere near the number of places that Joe Biden had next to his Corvette in his Chinese-funded fake think tank at Penn and all these other places. No, Trump, he, maybe he was selling the nuclear codes. We don't know. And so they don't ever charge him with anything because they don't have anything on him. 
But the, the very fact that they can make these insinuations is damaging enough. That is a political operation. And they could do it to anybody. They could do it to anybody who crosses them. Think about the data that they have on you, all of the surveillance, every naughty thing you've ever looked up online, every impolitic email or text message you've ever sent. That's in, in a surveillance state such as we have. That means it's all available. They're not going to go after you now. They probably, uh, unless you're a criminal, they probably don't have things where you, you've actually violated the law. But they can embarrass you. They can harm you. They can, that's a lot of power being wielded by a bureaucracy that is mostly unaccountable. Speaking of cultural power, this is a story that was trending yesterday on Twitter. I didn't know how much interest it would be to the public at large, but it's a great deal of interest to me. And it actually does have some pretty deep political implications. It's a story relating to the Catholic Church. There's a big fight in the Catholic Church over the Latin Mass. Some Catholics, myself included, like to go to the Old Mass, which is in Latin, but there are a lot of different things about it compared to the New Mass. Yes, it's in Latin, but the priest is facing the altar. There are many more prayers. It tends to be much more reverent and respectful and traditional. And the symbolism tends to be much richer. And so a lot of Catholics, especially young conservative Catholics, especially the ones who believe the teachings of the church, especially the ones that are having lots of kids, especially the ones that are returning to the faith, they, they tend to prefer that Latin mass. And the, the new mass that came about 50 years ago, roughly, is being promoted by a lot of liberal boomers in the church. That's kind of the main constituency. And you go to those churches, those parishes, where they've got the new mass in English with not just in English, but the priest is facing the people and he's yucking it up during the homily and there's a mariachi band in the corner and they've got clowns dancing up and down the aisle. I'm only half exaggerating with that one. And it's all really sappy. And it 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 it, it, it basically looks like a, a rock opera from the 1970s that wasn't cool even then. Unfortunately, a lot of the time, that's what the liturgical abuse looks like. So young people... Are, are drawn more toward orthodoxy, tradition, reverence, smells and bells, lifting your eyes up to heaven. Not a liturgy that is more worldly, not a liturgy that is more casual, not a liturgy that is less respectful. The Pope is clamping down on this, and he just issued an edict yesterday that would essentially ban the Latin Mass for all intents and purposes in most diocesan churches around the country. And one of the big promoters of this, a liberal uh, Catholic writer, uh, Massimo Fagioli, uh, tweeted out, he said, the absurd situation is that while the USA and Russia are moving toward the brink of nuclear war, the Vatican has to deal with liturgical wars within the Catholic church. I thought, hold on, has to? What do you mean has to? (laughs) They don't have to do this. The Vatican and certain liberals in the Vatican are picking this fight to attack the relatively small number of people who attend the, the traditional mass. Though there's a lot of growth there, and it's young people, and they're very energetic, and they're very, very vibrant, compared to some of the more ossifying elements of the, the church. He says, no, they have to do this. They have to. I don't think they have to do this. They're choosing to do this. But they're choosing to do this for good reason. And this is where we can all learn a political lesson, whether you're Catholic or not, whether you go to church or not. The political lesson is that liturgy really matters. Liturgy, by by which I mean the way that we enact our worship. The getting down on our knees and the smells and the bells and the the, the way that we pray and 
what we pray to <laughs> and the, the modes of our behavior really, really matter. There's a Latin expression, lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi. The way that we worship will affect the way that we believe. It's not just that the way we believe affects the way that we worship and behave. It's the way that we act will actually affect our opinions. And, and that will, in turn, affect the whole way that we live our lives. When, when a kid in a school stands up before school and says the Pledge of Allegiance, that is going to inculcate a spirit of patriotism in him, a love of his country. I guess it's explicit you're pledging allegiance to your country, but more it's implicit. The fact that you're standing up for the flag, the fact that you're putting your hand over your heart, the fact that you are imbuing the symbol of the flag with meaning. What's the symbol represent the country? You're going to love that country. If you if you don't love your country and you want to teach a whole generation not to love the country, yeah, you can teach them other history books. Yeah, you can lambast them with all sorts of diatribes against America and George Washington and all the rest. They do that too. But probably the most effective way you're going to do it is just don't have them say the Pledge of Allegiance anymore. Just take that flag out of the classroom. Or if it's in the classroom, disrespect it. Just have them not take any of these things seriously. Because we're uh, corporeal beings. We're incarnate. So our, we live in time and space. And the things that we do with our body, the things that we do with our time, that's going to affect the way that we believe. If you devote a lot of your time to God, to prayer, you're, you're going to be more religious. You are going to believe more deeply. That's going to affect your life much more. If instead you say, look, I believe in God, I believe in religion, but I spend all my time just playing video games or eating potato chips or going to the movies, you're going to be less religious. You're going to be more focused on that. That's what culture is. Culture and cult come from the same root word. What the culture worships is going to define that culture. And what does the culture worship? Well, you know the tree by its fruit. You know, you know the pudding from the tasting. How many more metaphors can I use? What are we doing? The very smart stuff from the liberals in the Vatican. If they want people to disregard some of those old teachings that have only persisted for 2,000 years in the church, if they want people to turn, turn away and, and, and adopt even new religious practices, new religious beliefs, the way to do it is not to write some long encyclopedic entry or some long essay or some long book about, about why they should believe what they should believe in some rational argument. No, just change the way they behave. Change the way they worship. You want people to worship a different, you want people to have allegiance to a different kind of country? Well, change the pledge, change the flag, change the symbols, change the behavior, change the parades, change the marches, change the hand over your heart. That will do it a lot more than some rational argument will. Okay, speaking of prayer, it's Ash Wednesday. It's the beginning of Lent. We're all looking forward to Easter, we Christians out there. And uh, so uh, for Woke Wednesday, Mr. Davies has given me a, uh, a prayer from a New York Times bestselling progressive Christian devotional. Can't say the book is on my bookshelf, but uh, we'll get into it. The uh, rest of the show starts now. You don't want to miss it. Go to dailywire.com slash Knowles. Use code Knowles at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. 